I miss the aliveness on a mind, body, spirit level. I was challenged to be extreme, and in the extreme, I become alive. It's about peaking on all three levels, which is, for me, like a flow that I cannot ex uh, explain. Yeah, which is ultimate living. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, well placed. In the 1990s and early 2000s, there was probably no more feared, more on-top-of-the-world athlete in female boxing than Lucia Riker. She's one of the meanest fighters I've ever trained. I mean, if she hurts you, she'll finish you. As a former kickboxer, Lucia Riker won three world titles. Her only loss in 39 fights came incredibly against a man. Ladies and gentlemen, referee Steve Smoger calls a halt to the bout. The official time, one minute, three seconds of round number one. The winner by knockout victory, still undefeated, still considered to be pound for pound, the best in the world among the ladies. She is the undefeated Lucia Riker. The Dutch destroyer, Lady Tyson, the most dangerous woman in the world. Riker was undefeated as a boxer. She was nearly undefeated as a kickboxer. 25 of her 36 wins were by knockout. She did lose once in the kickboxing ring, and that was to Mai Tai male champion Somchai Jati. There was a point in which Riker was larger than life, and in that white-hot heat of the spotlight, she stepped away for the first time. In 1999, my father passed away of cancer, and he had a challenging six months uh, after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, I, after two months, I, when I found out, he shared with me when I was sharing that I had a contract with promoters and contract with sponsors to start a Riker Strike sports line. He was quiet and he told me, Lucia, your father is dying. And I was very full of my accomplishments, wanting to mm. my, for my father to notice me through what I accomplished as this girl from a suburb, you know, I mean, my mom was on welfare, um, living in an apartment building on the fourth floor to trying to make it in America. I, I felt that was my worth, like, look at me, see me, hear me, notice me. And the moment that he wanted me to connect with him without yelling, hear me, see me, notice me, dad, am I okay? Are you proud of me? I got quiet and I hung up the phone. I put on my Team Riker hat and my tracksuit and I booked a ticket home. Hear me, see me, notice me. It's a mentality, a mantra, whether consciously adopted or not, that guides and inspires a lot of the world's best athletes to some degree. For Lucia Riker, it was principle. And as she climbed her way to the top, it had to be. Selfish in ways, noble in others, 
when you're a female athlete in a sport like boxing, a sport with a culture and a premise that could not be less quote-unquote feminine in what it asks of its participants, when you're an immigrant that ups and moves thousands of miles in pursuit of the American dream, when you were born in a low-income family, hear me, see me, notice me, while at first a means of just surviving, can be reappropriated by a particular kind of driven, hungry individual to achieve those wild dreams. And then, an earth-shaking event sheds a new light on that energizing force, destabilizes it, challenges it, takes it away. You're faced with the question, how do you find what motivates you again? And I took care of him for four months, and I lost everything. My promotional deal, my sponsor deal, and I ran out of money. And then mm. I came back to this country, broke, and then my father died. And when he died, I felt I got the wind knocked out of me, the drive to prove to him, see me, hear me, notice me. Um, and I was unaware of that until that happened, that, that the wind underneath my wings was driven by the approval of my father. Um, so I had to reinvent myself. And due to my Buddhist practice, I had to look into, like, what, why am I boxing? What, what is this about? What, what do I really want to accomplish? And I went to a um, meeting of uh, a, fee a group of female uh, former athletes that were trailblazers in their field. And when I heard their story, how they were training for swimming marathons or powerlifting competitions or the first female wrestlers and how they were looked at as um, circus acts or freaks mm. and never got write-ups or paid for their jobs or their passion, then I realized how privileged I was that I did get paid and I did get write-ups and that I had a mission to continue my career for the next generation. And then I made a determination to continue to prove women could fight and uh, that women should be allowed to box in the Olympics. I made that my goal and that gave me wind underneath my wings to go beyond my selfish seeking motives, see me, hear me, notice me and look at how great I am. It, it was bigger, it became bigger than me so I could rise above my self-pity. This time for Riker, really simply, was about figuring out who she was, her strengths and weaknesses, what made her get out of bed in the morning. And with this came the idea of finding what her purpose was that lay outside of herself. So much of Riker's self-discovery, as with many very competitive athletes, had always come where the action unfolded, on the court, on the field, and in this case, in the ring. However, for Riker during this time, a great deal of that self-discovery process transpired in a very different world from boxing. When I moved to America in 1994, I believe around 1995, I tried acting because I moved to L.A. and mm. acting was everywhere around me. And I had a secret dream or fantasy around Bruce Lee and Wing Chun, who were you know, developers of Chinese martial arts and bringing it to the Western world in the form of movies that I had a secret fantasy of being an action movie star. So I never really voiced mm -hmm. that. So I took acting lessons and I realized in the acting lessons, it was my first personal growth 
journey to really know what I was feeling because I learned how to have a mask and be all tough and cool with things that were not t cool. So in acting, it is all about what you reveal to the camera and I revealed nothing because I didn't even reveal it to myself. So in that training, I learned to discover feelings of that were not just anger and happiness, but there were all kinds of subtle feelings of vulnerability, uh, insecurity, jealousy, love, fantasy, whatever underlying things were going on, I had to access that in order for me to be able to act. The move into acting was by no means seamless. Partly because of this theme I'm now super interested in, as it has come up in a couple episodes. The restraint of emotion that sport requires, and the undoing of that learning the athlete undergoes in spaces outside of sport. As an athlete, I learned not to feel, or not to allow myself to show that I had feelings, because that was my, actually my business card, was to be fierce. And part of my strength was to intimidate through that image. So I had a big investment in that to keep that up. However, on the long run, it was not fulfilling me on a personal level. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it created a split between who I really was and who I pretended to be. As an actress, Riker's career highlights include her role as Billy the Blue Bear Osterman in the Oscar-winning film Million Dollar Baby. She also appeared in season two of The L Word and in 2009's Star Trek. In 2002, Riker made a return to the ring, beating Jane Couch for her 16th win. Number 17 came in May 2004 over Sunshine Fettkether. Riker's pro boxing career effectively came to a close in 2005. Her last fight, well, what was supposed to be her last fight, was heartbreaking. My dream fight, which was traumatic, and I'll never forget the preparation for that one because I got injured 11 days out of that fight, that was my Achilles. And, mm -hmm. and <laughs> there's a story around Achilles, right? That's how he got uh, defeated, and that's how I got defeated, through my Achilles tendon. So I feel that was my protection, even though it looked like um, a major opportunity to break through on another level of uh, financial, uh, not, I don't want to say security, because that comes from another place that doesn't come from money. Financial security comes from changing your relationship to money. But to get into a bracket as a boxer that was uh, new for females at that time, uh, however, the rage I had wanting to hurt my opponent might have turned against me. Um, also, uh, after that fight, if I would have beat that girl, I needed to fight in higher weight classes because the only big fights were the big girls, which was Leila Ali, which meant I had to spar with bigger guys. Mm. And looking back now with the neck injuries that I have, I thought maybe I was protected from being in a wheelchair if I would have continued. Only God knows. So injuries are traumatic and devastating, especially if it's for something that big. And at the same time, everything happens for a reason. Because mm -hmm. with the knowledge I have right now, I'm you know, making a contribution to the lives of other people, which is very satisfying. 
I won't say that the torment of traumatic injury is something that Riker misses about the sport, but there is something to this idea of the deep highs and lows, the way a human feels something when they put their whole heart into it, that Riker does look back on fondly. I miss the aliveness on a mind-body-spirit level because I was challenged to be extreme, and in the extreme, I become alive. To align myself with my mind, body, and spirit was through competing in a sport where I uh, reached a certain level of mastery. And what I mean by that is that if you make enough hours in repetition, 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 until you master the skill, then the spirit comes in. Um, and if you work enough on a, on a mind level, on a mind strength and spiritual level, then it's about peaking on all three levels, which is for me like a flow that I cannot exp uh, explain. Yeah, it's just ultimate living. That's what I like about sports, that any pro athlete gets to be in its potential uh, for a period of time in their life on a physical level and if they choose to be on a spiritual mental level also. Giving up competitive boxing, especially when thinking about how her career ended, was a big adjustment for Riker. Um, there was a, definitely a healing and a transformation in period uh, after boxing because I went out on an injury and then my mom died. So there was a lot of self-reflecting and healing. Thinking about what lay ahead, she had a kind of emotional blueprint. Boxing had shown her what it felt like to be alive, as she put it. Grabbing onto and logging that feeling, Riker had a sense of in what way her next something should move her. It was not long before she found a next something. Well, multiple next somethings. Then I took a, a life coaching training, and in that three years of training, I also got a chance to look at what makes me come alive. And of course, boxing did make me come alive, but there is a lifespan to being a professional athlete and especially to boxing, to combat sports, because the injury level on the brain is just different than in most sports. So I figured out that I am a speaker. And when I started speaking, it turned out I had 75% trainers and managers in my group. And then I realized when you give me a microphone and a group of people, something happens and it's, mm. it's magical. And so I started to focus more on speaking and also individual coaching and group coaching. And that is my livelihood right now. I travel the world speaking and coaching and I coach a, a TV show in the Netherlands. I'm the head coach in a troubled youth show, uh, which is focused on personal transformation which is called Dream School, where I hire a group of celebrities to teach a master class. And, uh, and these kids that basically are spit out of either society and school or one or the other get a new chance to see if they can get inspired by someone that might not have finished high school but are still accomplished human beings and make their wounds their assets instead of uh, turning into a victim because of their circumstances. And next to that, I teach educators. Uh, I do workshops, empowerment workshops for women. And that's where I become alive. And the flow and the thrill, the, 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 the how do you say that? Before a fight, before you go in, I have this 
you know, this insecurity comes up, the doubt. And the doubt challenges me to humble myself and to surrender. In talking about her work now, it is perhaps unsurprising that Riker is quick to make mention of and praise the skills that crossed over from boxing into coaching and speaking. One of these skills is what Riker describes as a third level of listening. That is, having your finger on the pulse of a situation via self-awareness and mindfulness. Gathering understanding and responding to things, not based on someone else's understanding or cues or interpretations, but through a dual confidence and humbleness in yourself. Hearing what's going on without people telling you and Mm -hmm. feeling what's going on in the space and responding to that instead of what people do or say because there's a lot of people that are not aware of themselves and don't know what they don't know. And when you can listen on a third level, you get more information of people. And that skill I use as a fighter to knock people out, I now use (laughs) to empower people. And another huge lesson learned? Hope. That is what I got through combat. When it looks like you're losing, when it looks there is no way out, to keep the faith and continue to punch and eventually they go down that like mm-hmm. that type of perseverance is very helpful now as a coach with these type of kids because i was one of them i grew up in a family that was dysfunctional boxing people are dysfunctional great champions are all dysfunctional The female boxing landscape has changed quite a bit since Riker last fought. Bigger personalities and more of them. A brighter spotlight, more money involved. It's always a weird thing to think about regrets when talking to someone who has had so much success. But Riker is not without them. If I would have done it again, I probably would have, you know, if I could have, I would have, right? I didn't have the knowledge. I would have probably been a little bit more, um, I would have bragged a bit more. I would have uh, stepped into uh, the limelight a bit more. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, no, that doesn't fit my personality. <laughs> but it, it, that, that works better. Like fame, I didn't, re- like I never, I never wanted fame. I wanted to be the best. I wanted the respect and I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. Boom. And that was my investment. And that's what I became. The fame was a byproduct of that. So maybe I would have directed it in a way that I would have utilized my network a bit more. Um, Maybe be a little less hard on my managers. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I would have enjoyed myself a bit more. I was a very serious athlete and very focused. My life was like a monk. I self-deprived on a level that is unheard of just to be the best I could be. And, and with that said, I could have maybe been a little bit easier on myself. And it seems the fact that Riker does have regrets when she looks back speaks to this idea that she has really sought to keep her ego in check. Riker recognizes that there was imperfection in her actions as a boxer. Keeping grounded is a pretty difficult thing to do for athletes who have achieved so much. A big ego is obviously detrimental in a lot of ways, but certainly as an athlete transitions to retirement. My first goal when I came out of a personal transformation training was I wanted to create a personal transformation weekend for 
for former pro athletes mm. in transition. The problem is that if they've been really successful, the ego is so big, they don't think they need it. So <laughs> if I offer that weekend, they don't think they need it until they're on their knees thinking, oh my God, this is not as easy as I thought. Only when you're ready, when you're willing and humble enough to learn, especially when we're accomplished. And if we made some good money and we're really in the top, we think we're all that and we're untouchable. Well, there's thousands of other women behind us that are going to step in the exact same job we step out of, go through the exact same thing. But we think we're so unique. But it's only the ego that thinks that. So that's why to really connect with who we truly are is so important to, to, to find a profession after an athletic career that is truly fulfilling and fitting mm -hmm. who you really are and with all your skills and talents that you actually can use from what you learned as an athlete. All right. So here's a question I've kind of turned over in my head a bunch as I've immersed myself in this project. To what degree and how does the type of sport the retired athlete played affect them in the post-sports chapter? And I guess a hidden question in this thought is, what does a given sport ask from its competitors? That right there influences identity so much and how that athlete might confront the world. Whether it's swimming or soccer or ultimate frisbee, really there are so many commonalities with regards to what sports ask from its participants. Discipline, perseverance, goal setting, physical strength, finesse. There's a lot. And because there's a lot, maybe there's more to be drawn from the differences from sport to sport. What makes boxing different in what it demands from fighters? And how might that insistence affect fighters after they leave the ring? You're on your own. Like, I yeah. can't rely on my team. It's, it's the bell goes and there I am, me and my fears and... And my power. And what am I choosing on a second-to-second -second level? Am I choosing what empowers me? Or am I choosing what disempowers me? On top of that, there is a person in front of me that likes to push me into the disempowering beliefs about myself by literally hurting me. And every time they hurt me, they either break my nose, they, you know, I've had my cheekbone broken, I've lost my vision due to, to a muscle in my eye that got hurt and I had to continue fighting. I've lost my equilibrium due to a punctured eardrum. I had to finish the fight. That, that it's, it's somebody can damage you on the way, which is in every sport, of course. We have injuries, but the focus is on damage, which is different. The focus in other sports is on winning. The focus in combat sports is on damaging and winning but the damaging is part of the winning and most sports it is scoring points where the focus is and there is a damage aspect in it of course because that's strategically happens you know that people hurt other people in order to win so but it's it's not the first priority and then if you're injured in a team you get taken out and someone else takes your place if you get injured in combat, you gotta continue. Now, you break your hands, you gotta continue. Unless the referee stops the fight, but you're gonna have to tell him you broke your hand because they can't see it. Same thing, breaking your nose. You know, how many fighters break their nose? They continue. Have their eye cut, they continue. You know, as long as you say, yes, I can, 
still continue to fight. And, and, and to a degree that when the fighter continues, they die. And I've had a fighter like that. And I stopped coaching because I said, you know, first I held her opponent in my arms who had a stroke. She got knocked out. She had a stroke and nobody noticed it. And then we prayed all night because she was in a coma for two days. And I mean, it was horrifying, so traumatic. And then two fights later, I'm, I'm sleeping at the end of the bed of my fighter, waking her up every hour, hoping she's still alive. And then I thought, because the opponent was so strong and the weight was a big difference after getting off the scale, of course, between the weigh-in and the fight, we're not going to say who this specific fighter is that she's referring to because she doesn't say a name, and we'll leave it at that. It is worth mentioning here that Riker has been a strike coach for quite a few elite-level boxers, including former UFC champion Ronda Rousey and Australian boxer Diana Prazik. So that put my fighter in danger, and the consequences of that are also part of the sport, and, and you're going to have to live with that if your fighter dies in the ring. So... There is a component in it that that I'm not willing to be with anymore or choose to be part of. That's Mm -hmm. why I coach and empower uh, people now to be better human beings and to thrive in what they truly long for instead of just trying to please their ego and impress the world at the Mm -hmm. expense of themselves. Having been an athlete, an actress, a coach, and a speaker... Going from a focus on beating down and asserting herself over those she encountered professionally to now lifting them up and assisting them, Riker has a unique perspective in relaying some words of wisdom to the soon-to-be and already retired. Well, the first, the first thing I would suggest is before you retire, start to get busy with what's the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem? And what part of your accomplishments have you attached to self-confidence? And what part to self-esteem? And what is self-esteem to you? And where do you get it from? Is that something that is created by external approval and acknowledgement? Or is that something that comes from within? Mm-hmm. And the more you start to acknowledge yourself for who you are as you are without doing anything that basically saying I'm okay as I am the way I am without doing anything if you can work on that or towards that it'll help you into an easier transition to retirement when you've had a rigid routine within your sport and you go out in the world where you can all of a sudden, you know, have to become a normal human being and, you know, uh, adapt to these demands of the world. Um, it's good to know who you truly are. Mm-hmm. Because then it doesn't matter what you choose to do. Whether you become a gardener or a housewife, it doesn't matter. But if you don't know who you are, you're going to want to continue to impress and accomplish at the expense of maybe who you truly are. And that's going to be a, a pain, painful journey. Mm-hmm. To work towards 
I'm okay as I am is the most difficult thing any human being, athlete or not, can work on. But it is absolute fulfillment on the long run. If you also put some time in a day towards getting, you know, approval and acknowledgement from within, from your own spirit, from your own heart. That is my advice. Thank you to Lucia Riker for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.